So we're going to do a little bit of backtracking again into what we looked at. Um, well, actually, we're not really going to backtrack much into Wednesday night. We only got in, we only got through one verse on Wednesday night. Um, but this is really, um, really an important passage uh, doctrinally, but also uh, how we can apply this into our lives, and and this idea of of the faith of Abraham. And uh, I'll I'll have some things to say about it. Uh, as we go through this this morning, but I wanted to pick up actually, um, well, I'm going to back up into, well, I'm going to back all the way up into verse 16. How's that? Of uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 16, although I'll probably start my teaching around 18. But verse 17, which we looked at Wednesday night, is one of my favorite verses, so I just wanted to read it because it's one of my favorites. How's that? Now, I'm not trying to be indulgent. I think it's also very germane to this passage uh, and it, it, it just speaks volumes when we talk about the life of faith. In verse 16 of chapter 4 of the book of Romans, it says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. That's just, boy, I've been thinking about that verse all week. And um, there's so much there. I think there's so much there to really mine from. Uh, but nonetheless, I want to continue this morning. And Paul does kind of touch on this idea uh, and uh, to some degree. But it, it's almost like he, if, if, as we go forward in this reading, he just essentially believes it, as he should, okay? But he doesn't necessarily try to take it apart a whole lot, but he's just, he's declaring it. He's declaring it how? He's declaring it by faith. And, and um, the emphasis on this passage is, is, he brings up this mystery of God, but the real emphasis on this passage is, is the calling of a life of faith. Um, and, and continuing on in verse 18, it says, who contrary to hope, talking about Abraham now, this is where we're going to pick off or pick up, or this is where we're going to begin. Um, what did I say, pick off? I don't know. You're just laughing. So anyway, I must have said something different. All right. Um, who contrary to hope, in hope believed so that he may become the father of many nations according to what was spoken so shall your descendants be and not being weak in faith he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written 
for his sake alone. This is the important part as well. This whole thing is important, but let this drive home. It is not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. What's the it? Righteousness is imputed to him. In other words, it wasn't, this wasn't written about just for Abraham's sake alone, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Father, we ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning as we look at this passage. It's, uh, it's a very full passage. And Lord, we pray that you would just give us understanding. So again, fill us with your spirit that we may receive from you this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. In verse 18, you have this, this, to me, this really interesting concept because it comes on the heels of God, verse 17, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Then it goes on, it says, who, uh, who, referring to Abraham, contrary to hope, in hope believed. Contrary to hope, in hope believed. And I, and I thought this was an interesting phrase, be, and, and I think of the three things that will last, faith, hope, and love, and of course the greatest of this is love, according to 1 Corinthians 13. But hope is one of those things that will, will continue on. It's considered one of the uh, Christian virtues uh, by the early church, uh, faith and, and love, of course, being the other two of the three Christian virtues. And, and this, this idea of of, uh, of, of having an attitude of expectation. And, and a lot of commentators, when they look at this particular verse, they, they refer to it as, as Paul talking about Abraham trusted God against all conceivable or rational hope. Against all conceivable or rational hope. Uh, and it, it's interesting because because here he is 100 years old, or almost 100, he's about 99, um, Genesis 22, uh, where he is told that by this time next year, he's going to have a son through Sarah, who is barren. And, and interesting because it says in verse 19, he did not, uh, he was not weak in faith. He did not consider his own body already dead because he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Uh, in other words, she had gone past the point of being able to bear children. She was not able to have children their entire marriage. God had come along back when Abraham was the ripe age of 75 and told him he was going to be the father of many nations. And he doesn't have any children at that time. God begins to speak into his life at age 75 those things as though they existed even though they do not exist. And then he makes him wait for a long time. 
about 25 years. Now, some of us get kind of wrapped up when God doesn't fulfill that which we believe he has told us when he doesn't fulfill it in about 25 minutes or days. Let alone 25 weeks, for goodness sake, that's a half a year almost. Okay, two and a half years. Now it seems like you're really digging in and really persevering and really, really going through this, this refining period. But 25 years, think back of your life 25 years ago. I was four. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'm glad I'm not, actually. And think back of all that has happened in that time. And that period of time is, is that time which, which God made a promise to Abram. He will be the father of many nations. And yet there's no fulfillment. Now the important thing about this is, is that, that it, it, God gives him this incredibly heavy-duty promise. And remember when I spoke about this recently is, is that, that even though God made this incredible promise to Abraham and established the covenant with him and his seed, and according to Galatians chapter 3, the seed is whom? Jesus Christ. That in, uh, through the seed and, and through our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ that we receive the promises of Abraham. God makes this incredible promise to him and, and makes him wait. And it's, this, is, this is happening on a grand scale. Uh, this is the establishment of how God will now relate to man. And yes, later on, he, he will establish the nation, nation of Israel because they were to produce the light of the world. They were to produce the Messiah. But God's plan has always been to redeem as many as will receive him. It is a plan of redemption that reaches out and calls out to whosoever will. And, and whether they be Jew, whether they be Gentile, whether they be somewhere in between, whether they don't even know who they are, God's plan is to redeem the entirety of humanity, and, but it's a calling to whosoever will. And he does it by establishing a covenant with a man who has no children and tells him you will be the father of many nations. So he stacks the deck against himself. In other words, he is going to have to depend upon his supernatural power for this to happen. Now, this sounds, well, I'll just say it. For God, that's no big deal. We call it supernatural, and it is. But in reality, with God, with God, there's no difference between supernatural and natural. It's all, it's all natural to him because of his supernatural power. 
But he does this in a way to demonstrate the greatness of who he is, not only to Abraham, but to demonstrate the greatness of who he is to you and I. But he does so in such a way that his calling to us can be rationalized out to a degree, to a degree. But it also requires of us what? It's all over this chapter. Thank you. It requires of us faith. It requires of us to trust that God is going to do something that he and he alone can do. Abraham could not make his wife pregnant. They've been married for a long time at this point. The deadness of her womb, he did not consider the deadness of his body. But he knew that if God had declared it, then in fact it must be so. It must be true. What's interesting about this little passage that we're looking at, and you, you have these, these statements about Abraham uh, where uh, he did not waver. He, he hoped contrary to hope. Um, he did not become weak in his faith. Uh, he was fully convinced what God had promised he was able to perform. He had all these 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 thoughts about what God had declared and his sense of confidence that God would one day accomplish it. But it's important to remember that this little passage is talking about a 25-year experience between Abraham and God. And in Genesis 15 was the second time that God declared the promise to Abraham. The first time, of course, was in Genesis 12. And in Genesis 15 is when you have the actual, I've shared this with you before, the actual ratification, if you will, or the actual signing of the covenant documents, although they weren't done in that way, was the, the killing of the animals and separating them in two and God walking between the animals. But the covenant was ratified at that time. But it's also at that time where, where God tells Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations, and it says that Abraham did what? He believed God, and it was imputed or accounted or counted or given or deposited in his account righteousness. So Abraham is a righteous person because he trusted God's ability to do exactly for him and for us what Abraham had no capacity to do for himself. And in other words, God takes the, 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 this acting out of a covenant that he made and he took it completely out of humanity's hands. And he says, I'm going to fulfill this. And yet he does it in such a way that our response, our only response, is that we trust, is that we have faith is that we trust God as 
the God and the Lord of our lives. Because the thing is, is, is that there are people who believe. They believe the gospel. They believe it to be true. But they also believe that, they, they won't tell you this, of course. There's exception clauses to the gospel. Did you know that? Or at least some of these folks believe this. Because I can get my ticket punched, I'm getting into heaven, but I'm going to do exactly whatever I want. I believe it, but I have never come to the point of submitting my life to the lordship of Jesus Christ in following him. And I would submit to you that if you have not submitted your life to Jesus Christ and made a decision to follow him as Lord that he's then not your savior until you make him Lord until you make that commitment this idea of belief has has um, has a motion uh, involved in it is just not a mental assent is not an intellectual activity it's I have now made a firm decision that now I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And Abram made that type of decision. He believed God and then it was counted to him for righteousness. And hope contrary to hope he believes. In other words, God's promise made absolutely no sense to anyone who did not apprehend it by faith. Made no sense. And yet he was promised to be the father of many nations. And and the interesting thing about this is, again, remember... God is working on a very grand scale with Abraham because the covenant that he made with Abraham includes the covenant that God has made with each of us individually, okay? But it had to start somewhere, right? It had to start somewhere. The thing is, is that Abraham had the level of trust. When I say trust and faith, I, I'm using them interchangeably, all right? But Abraham had the level of trust in God because he truly heard the voice of God. Something I never really got to on Wednesday night. But he truly heard the voice of God. Now, the challenge is for each of us when we hear something, I'll say something for now. When we have an impulse about a direction that we believe that God is leading us into. Is it the voice of God or is it the enchilada you had the night before? Sometimes, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Because I've heard, I've heard the, the uh, okay, get it out of your system, all right? <laughs> because sometimes it's the voice of God. 
Sometimes it's the enchilada, man. Because I've heard people tell me things that, oh, God told me this, and God told me that, and God told me this, and God told me that. And, and you know what? I always, 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 always want to handle that carefully because it could be God. If I were one of Abraham's neighbors, and he would have said, oh, by the way, I just talked to God the other day, and guess what he told me? He's going to make me the, uh, the father of many nations. I would have been like, Abraham, you need to get your well checked. That might have been one of my thoughts. And, and, and part of walking by faith is it does not always make sense. Doesn't always make sense. And it doesn't even have to make sense to the person who's following the calling of God. But we're called to walk by faith, not by sight. But I would say truly, and, 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 I, I, and I think when you have these things and you have these thoughts and you have these sense of callings and, 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 and um, that you have to be open enough to them to really, really, really allow God to really press in that, yes, this is exactly what you're calling me to do, rather than making sharp or quick uh, decisions because you think that God's calling you when in reality you had a great meal at Arancho Grande last night, okay? I had to do that with my own calling. First of all, I got called to, to be a pastor at 17. I didn't want to do it. Until God finds somebody else, basically. I lived my life through my 20s and made a mess of it and God called me again when I was 30. I went, oh, no, we're going to do that again, huh? So that time I said, okay, I'll do it. If you want me to go into pastoral ministry, I'll do it. And then God made me wait about seven, eight-plus years before he gave me an opportunity to do so. It wasn't 25. Thank God, 25 would have been. It ought to have been about right now I was started. Um. No, it would have been years ago. I didn't even have a older than that. Anyway, the enchilada, right? Okay. Have some more water, Mike. It's good for you. But what that did was that, that time period between the time I said, yes, I will follow you and whatever you want me to do, Lord, and the door that actually opened uh, was very um, tumultuous. Because it's in these type of experiences where things are difficult and things are hard and, and things are not always understood well that God really develops in you a life of faith. You don't go to bed one morning, wake up the next morning a faithful person. It doesn't happen that way. You learn to trust God by being in places where you've got no other choice than to trust him. And you and I both know that is not a lot of fun. 
But that is the type of work that God is desiring to do in our lives that contrary to hope, we hope anyway. We hope and believe. Or in hope, we do believe. And not being weak in faith. And, and I, I, I'll, do, I'll never forget that time I was like, well, maybe I just made it all up. And I had gotten a new job and I was working close to 60 hours a week. And, and I just thought, you know, Maybe I've made this whole thing up. and Maybe it was just my own pursuit. Maybe God didn't call me at all. And, and uh, driving down the freeway uh, in the Bay Area. Don't drive down the freeway in the Bay Area. Uh, it's not a good, anyway, ah. Anyway, I'm driving down. I was in the East Bay, though, so the traffic wasn't so bad. And I was like, all right, God, if this is not what you have for me, then I don't want to do it anymore. And this is about the seven-plus-year mark of waiting, 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 waiting to see if God's going to open a door and God's not opening any doors. And I'm like, you know, and if you haven't called me, I'm okay with it. I learned to finally be at peace with it. A year later, I'm, pa I'm assistant pastor in a church in South Lake Tahoe. But sometimes I think with us, now God, Abraham had one of those really incredible experiences, okay? Yes, we do too, but on a smaller scale. Does that make sense? And I think it's good to question your calling. Personally, I think it's good to question your theology. Some of you, I wish you would question your theology. But anyway, I looked at the ceiling and I didn't want to make any eye contact. But th these are how we, we work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Because when I talk to people and they have certain doubts about whatever, I'm like, great, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity for you to have your own experience as Jacob had when he was at the river Jabbok and he wrestled with the Spirit of God, the angel of the Lord, all night long. And he walked away from that experience a changed person. He also walked away with a limp. Because God, the angel of the Lord, touched his hip and his joint went out of the socket. But he walked away as a changed person because he had the name change, which is an indication of a change of nature. He went from Jacob being the heel catcher to Israel being governed by God. But it took the wrestling match. Now, it's interesting. With Abraham, you don't see much of the wrestling match in his life. But with most of us, we have the wrestling match. And if you're wrestling with God, I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, that's good. Because then he's got you really close. Now, he may have you in a hole that you may not necessarily like, but he's got you close. And at least you're paying attention to him. And so, again, this, this whole idea that, that contrary to hope, in hope he believed. 
Now, maybe Abraham was just a very, very special guy and very trusting, or maybe God gave him uh, a greater en endowment of grace, or maybe there's just not a lot of things between his, co his con uh, conflicts with God, his working through his own salvation with God that's even recorded in the book of Genesis, although we know he was not a perfect person, Right? He goes to Egypt, no, she's not my wife, she's my sister, and so Pharaoh says, great, I'll take her then. You know, did the same thing with Abimelech later on, no, she's not my wife, she's my sister, because he's scared that he's going to get killed. Now, he's been given the promise that he's going to be the father of many nations, and yet he can't trust God in the face of Pharaoh or in the face of Abimelech. Is that a faithful person? I wouldn't think so. That tells me Abraham was made out of the same stuff you and I are made out of. So when I read these things that are written about him, not being weak in faith and not wavering at the promise of God through unbelief, I'm recognizing that even though he may have had his moments of doubt, he may have had his moments of unclarity, he may have had his moments of unfaithfulness, nonetheless, this is the narrative of his life, and this is the narrative that I want to see written about me, and this is the narrative I want to see written about each and every one of you. That even in the midst of your trials and difficulty, the grand theme, the grand narrative of who you are is that you were a person who did not waver in faith through unbelief. That you did not consider anything that God has possibly promised you to be something that, well, well, maybe he can't do it this time. Or maybe he just is tired of me. You ever hear that? I've heard that. Well, maybe God doesn't like me anymore. <laughs> Sometimes I've heard people tell me that. I'm dying to say, well, why would he? But anyway, but, you know, of course, I, biblically, I know better, all right? He didn't waver. Verse 20. He didn't waver. That is, he was never, he, it means to be uncertain. Or, I like this definition of the, of the Greek, it means to be at odds with oneself. <laughs> to, you ever been at odds with yourself? Of course you have. Doesn't mean you're schizophrenic, by the way. It, it means that, 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 that you're having, having this battle between the flesh and the spirit. You're having this battle between walking in faith and following what God has led you to do or this idea of walking according to your own understanding. That's what this word means when it says wavering. He did so without the internal battle, at least primarily. He did so without any doubting. In other words, he did not have a divided mind. You know what a divided mind is? A divided mind is someone who, well, I guess I might as well show up. I guess this is what I'm supposed to do. And I'll just kind of show up and I'll just see what happens. 
There's a place for that type of passivity. But when God has called us to walk in faith, we're to trust with our whole hearts, with our whole mind, with our whole soul, and with our whole strength. And when you trust with the wholeness of your being, the perspective is radically different, although it'll sound similar, because we will say, well, I don't know how God's going to do it, but he told me he is, and so I'm going to trust that he will. I don't even understand how this soul in this body or these souls in these bodies are going to get out of this earth and get into heaven, but the Bible says we're going to get there. Some kind of tram or riding on the back, you know, the, yeah, I don't know, you know. But God says he's going to get us there. And so in these promises, we're called not to waver. And because of these promises that Abraham was given, because he believed it was accounted to him for righteousness. Our part in our salvation, if in fact there is anything, and I don't want to get into this but I, fully, but the reality is that if we have been offered the salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ, and God, I, I believe, is always, 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 always the initiator. All right? But we still have a part. We have to say yes. We have to say yes. We have to decide that we are going to follow Jesus. We have to decide that we are going to submit to his lordship and that we are going to give our life to him. And so... The life that we now live in the flesh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, we live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself for us. So a life that is a life of faith that we live in the flesh, uh, submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, should look very different than a life that is living for their own sense of pleasure or their own sense of destiny should look very different. Abraham believed these things that was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, verse 23, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. God had a very specific and very purposeful plan of how he orchestrated the formation of the covenant and the calling of Abraham to be the father of us all. He did those things because he was attempting to do a greater work in Abraham and to continue, you could say, I, I believe, conform him into the image of Jesus Christ. In the same way, 
his life becomes an illustration. As, now, it's a true life. It's an actual life. It's these things actually happened, all right? But they become illustrations for us to glean from so that we understand God's ways in how God is dealing with us. I don't know how many, especially during the Jesus movement, I don't know how, how many people I knew they got saved, and the first time that, 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 that the trials started to hit in their life, now there's, a, there's, there's reason for that, and Matthew 13 covers the, the, the parable of the four soils that I won't get into this morning, but, but how many people I know that they would go through trials and difficulties and problems, and therefore the first thing they did was jettison their faith. No longer wanted to follow Jesus. Because they did not understand the ways of God. And they did not understand his sanctifying work in developing our faith because the reality is that the, uh, hopefully, 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 hopefully the faith that we had when we first started to follow Jesus is much more mature, much more developed, much more trusting than it was when we prayed and asked the Lord Jesus Christ to become our Lord and Savior. I was eight. So I don't, I mean, I believed, but, you know, I mean, how many, how many eight-year-old atheists do you know? Or even four-year-old atheists, right? They, we, we don't come into this world as atheists. We come in and believe in God. And, and the thing is, gosh, I, I could go on for another hour about done, okay? You bet you're glad. Okay. I could, I could go on for this for another hour easily. Okay, you just wipe the sweat off your brow, Tim. Thanks. Um, I love the story of the man who wanted Jesus to heal his son. Mark chapter nine. And the son would throw fits and throw him. He had a demon and such, and the demon would throw his body into the fire, and and. Jesus called that man to believe. I'll hear his son if you believe, right? I love this man's prayer. I, I, it's only in one gospel. It's only in Mark. Um, I wish there was more written on this. This man was called to believe in Jesus, and his response to Jesus was, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Now, he was wavering. He was wavering. That is to be at odds with oneself. What did Jesus do? Well, I'm sorry. Come back tomorrow. Come back next week. And let's see if you can get your faith up because you don't have enough faith. It's not what he did. He heals the boy. There's your grain of mustard seed. There's your mountain moved. God isn't interested in us rearranging geography. You understand that, don't you? But he's looking for the grain of faith, the grain of the mustard seed. Because with that faith, he will move the mountains in your life. If you haven't heard anything at all this morning with the grain of a mustard seed of faith he will move the mountains 
And you all know what the mountains are in your life. Now, I hate to tell you this because I'm going to end this with Abraham was given a promise 25 years later he recognizes the fulfillment. Thanks, Mike, right? And we want that fulfillment in 25 minutes. Because that's who we are. That's what we're used to in modernism. But God has called you on this wonderful journey of faith in him where he continues to develop our trust in him that little by little that mustard seed grows and that mountain eventually is moved. Because it's about being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Amen? I just wish you'd hurry up. <laughs> Don't you? So, Father, we thank you for your word and for your great faithfulness to us. And we'd ask, Lord, that we would, these things that were written of Abraham would be written of us that we would be people contrary to hope that we and hope we would believe that we would not be weak in faith that we would not waver at the promise of God through unbelief but we would be strengthened in faith and we would give glory to you help us Lord to be fully convinced that that which you have promised that you are also able to perform. We thank you for your promises, your great faithfulness, your great love and mercy, that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us, that you really do have our lives in your hand. And that we dwell in your hand, Lord, and no one can pluck us out of it. We pray, Lord, that you would be with us this week. Help us to, to give thought, to meditate, to think about this passage and this great example of the life of Abraham. But even more than that, Lord, help us to recognize your ways of how you deal with our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you guys.